Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So we are in this year of blessing here at Ivy Church and I hope that we have firmly established already that God is a God who blesses. God's heart is set to bless. There is no other setting. It's a permanent fixed attitude. I wonder how has God blessed you? And I also wonder what are you believing for in this year of blessing? But the question that I want to ask today is this, what happens when it feels like everything is taken away? What happens when it feels like God takes away the blessing, the very good thing that he has given you? When that moment comes, what do you do with it? Where do you go? You know, with all the questions that you might have. Is God really a God who blesses? Is his heart set to bless me? Is he still good? How you answer those questions when those moments come will have major implications for you on the journey of following Jesus. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So we're continuing on our journey through the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. Over the last two weeks, we've been looking at the life of a man called Abraham. And I want to do a bit of a recap because it gives us important context for understanding the magnitude of what Abraham is going to go through in the story we look at today. So for Abraham, it all begins in chapter 12 of Genesis. God speaks to Abraham and says, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Abraham's father, Terah, had already set out on that journey, but they settled when they were only halfway there in a place called Haran. And Holly talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So now God says to Abraham, leave everything behind, everything you know. Trust me, follow me, and I will make you a great nation. There's just one problem. He's 75 and Abraham and uh, Sarah, they don't have any children. Probably not the best time to relocate and try and start a family. Now, we don't know how long they've been waiting, but one day they go. Fast forward two chapters, and as many as 10 years later, Abraham at this point could be as old as 85, God speaks again and says, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abraham says, but what can you give me, Lord, since I remain childless? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. That's pretty bold, but you know that you can ask anything to God in prayer, right? He's not doubting, it's clarifying. And it's a legitimate question. God had promised him children, but 10 years later, and he hasn't, nothing's changed. As far as Abraham is concerned, God hasn't delivered. You know, maybe Abraham is... Uh, beginning to wonder or assume that God isn't really able to do it or that he was just speaking, uh, speaking metaphorically. But God says again, and this time he is very clear, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Fast forward another chapter and around another 15 years, Abraham is now 99. At times, he's been a little bit flaky, but he's still going. Now God speaks again. And he says, you will no longer be called Abram, which means father, a painful irony that must have stung every time he heard his name, since all through his life and up to this point he still doesn't have any children. He will no longer be called Abram, but now be called Abraham, 
which means the father of many nations. It's like God's changing his name to raise the game, to lift up his faith from the realm of the quite impossible to the really impossible. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, 25 years on from the original promise, I would have been fairly convinced that it wasn't possible or that God had completely forgotten all about it. You know, 25 years is a long time. I wonder, what were you doing 25 years ago? What was happening then? Well, Celine Dion was at the top of the top of the charts with My Heart Will Go On, I'm Not Going to Sing It. Titanic had just become the first film to gross a billion dollars at box office. Bill Clinton was president and Tony Blair was prime minister. I was nine years old and some of you listening to this weren't even born. 25 years is a very long time. One day, as Louise spoke about last time, three visitors come to see Abraham and Sarah and they say, this time next year you will have a child. Sarah laughs and says in so many words, I'm literally 100 years old and Abraham is no spring chicken. Can this really happen? And the angels, the visitors say to her, why do you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What a question. It's so powerful. I wonder for you today, even now, is there there anything that you long for? But if someone came to you and said, that God would make it happen, you'd just laugh. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I love that question, because it's, it's a yes or no answer. I wonder what's your answer? Is anything too hard for God? You might say, well, no, of course not, but dot, dot, dot. Anyway, sure enough, a year later, Sarah gave birth to a son, and they call him Isaac, which means laughter. And she says, God has brought me laughter, And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me because it's unbelievable. God made a promise. They waited 25 years and God blessed them according to his promise. Now I wonder, how precious do you think Isaac would have been to them? How much do you think he represented for them in terms of their life and walk with God up until that point? So now we get to the story we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 22 and it begins with the words some time later we don't know exactly how much time later but based on what follows Isaac is probably now somewhere between 8 and 15 he's not a baby anymore so it says this some time later God tested Abraham that word test uh, in this context really means to find out what someone is made of to find out who they really are and what is important to them, what matters most. And uh, that's one of the ways that God tests us. Of course, what makes it a test is that Abraham doesn't know that what follows is going to be a test. (laughs) Only God knows. So he says, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moria. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. The test is really simple and really troubling. It's simple because the question is, Abraham, are you willing to give up the very thing I promised you and that you've waited your whole life for? And not only that, but everything that this son represents, the promise to give you the land, to make you a father of many nations and through you to bless the whole world. One commentator writes, in Genesis 12, 
when God asked Abraham to leave everything he had behind, God was asking him to give up his past. Now, 25 years later, God is asking him to give up his whole future. Simple. But of course, it's incredibly troubling because it involves uh, Abraham being willing to sacrifice his own son. Where Abraham started out in Haran, the gods sometimes would have had to be appeased through human sacrifice. It was horrible, but fairly common. So I wonder, was he thinking, what kind of God is the God that I'm now following? Why would God ask anyone to do something like that? I wonder, how would you respond if you were him? I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, really God? Is this really what you're asking me to do? Have I really left everything and traveled hundreds of miles to come here for it to end like this? Everything we've been through, all the challenges we've faced, all the mistakes I've made along the way, everything I've heard you say, all the promises, all the risks, everything left behind, all the prayers, tears, the joy. It's like it could all end here. Has this really been for nothing? They're like, God, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you ask me to do this? Why would you put me through this? The death of my own son. And it's like, what the heck would Sarah say? What's so funny about this passage is, Abraham doesn't seem to tell her anything about it. And notice this, when God talks about Isaac, it's like he seems to be making the point to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's like Abraham adored his son. He like waited him for such a long time. And through this excruciating test, God is posing Abraham the question, who do you love more, the gift or the giver, the blessing or the blesser, the created or creator? I wonder for you in this story, what does Isaac represent? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a ministry? Is it a calling? Is it a reputation? Or is it an idea about how you think your life will play out? You know, none of these things are bad things. Some of them may be very, very good things. Maybe things that God has blessed you with. Maybe things that were answers to prayer, years in the waiting. Maybe like Sarah, that's something that has brought you incredible joy. But the question remains, would you be prepared to lay it down if God was asking you? I wonder what would hold you back? For me, ultimately, it always comes down to the same thing. The thing that holds me back is very simply, what will other people think about me or say about me? Am I willing to do what God is asking me to do, regardless of the fact that I may be misunderstood, accused of having selfish motives, or wasting an amazing opportunity? We don't know, at the end of the day, what Abraham was thinking, because the story doesn't tell us. It only tells us what he does. Because in the end, Abraham has a simple choice. Will he trust God and act upon what he's been asked to do or not? Not in an abstract way, but in a very concrete, tangible way. Will he do what God is asking him to do or not? Would you? Let's find out what Abraham does. He says this, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out to, for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, 
Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, there is so much to be said on this passage. I want to focus on one statement and it's in verse 12. And it's when the Lord speaks to Abraham right in the moment where he's about to sacrifice his son. And he says, don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Many people have argued all sorts of things about the statement that God says, now I know. It does seem to indicate that God did not know what the outcome of this test would be. Personally, I don't think that works with the rest of scripture. I do think God knew it's an anthropomorphism. It's more like, now it's been proven. It was, I think it wasn't really that God needed to know. I think it was that Abraham needed to know. He needed to know that he was the sort of person who truly loved God more than anyone or anything else and trusted him completely and that his love and trust was not in vain. The Lord would provide, not just in this moment, but everything that God had promised him over the course of his lifetime and beyond. In fact, as we're talking about Abraham, if you think 25 years was a long time, the New Testament tells us that the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham would not come for another 2,000 years, long after he died. In the book of Galatians, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that the gift of the Holy Spirit given through Christ is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through him. The reason that Abraham has passed the test is that, as it says, he has not withheld his son. The word here literally means, uh, the word withheld, it's like to keep for oneself. Abraham didn't cling to his son. He didn't try to keep him for himself. He knew that he was a gift from God 
and in the end, he belonged to God. And it's this open-handedness, this willingness to trust and obey God with the most important and precious thing that God had given him that made it possible for God to bless him in the incredible way that God blessed him. Because Abraham had learned over the course of his life to cling to the giver, not the gift. My mum shared with me a few years ago that there was once a time when she was praying for me to come to know Jesus and she was pleading with God and at that point it seemed to her that I couldn't have been any further away and that all hope was lost and she said to God in, in prayer, she's like, why aren't you doing anything? And eventually she felt God say to her, is this a deal breaker between you and me? And she said, no, of course not, but this isn't a bad thing that I'm asking for. I find that story such a helpful way of thinking about it. In the end, Abraham had no deal breakers. I wonder, do you have any deal breakers in your walk with Jesus? It might not be a bad thing. In fact, it might be a really good thing. For Abraham, getting to this point, it didn't happen overnight. It was a long journey from hearing God speak for the first time to 40 years later being willing to give up everything because he knew that God was faithful to his promises. Abraham had come to the point where he'd given up doing things his own way, trying to control and manipulate all of his circumstances to protect himself. That had never gone well. Now he was able to trust God whose ways are beyond our understanding and yet is completely reliable and completely faithful. And in the end, for Abraham, this step of faith wasn't a leap in the dark. In the book of Hebrews, it says, uh, in the New Testament, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Who, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it's through, your, uh, through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It's like Abraham thought logically. God was able to give them a son when they were 100 years old. There is no natural way that could have happened. Abraham embraced the promise that God would bless him and bless the world through his descendants. God had been faithful and provided for them in the past. He would be faithful and provide for them now. Abraham was willing to embrace the reality of the death of his son for the sake of God. And so as the writer in Hebrews says, in a sense, he did receive him back from the dead. No doubt he remembered the words the angel had said to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? So, in the end, it's not so much that Abraham is found faithful, it is God who is found faithful. So God makes his promise to Abraham again, the exact same promise that he made right at the beginning. And this pretty much closes the story of Abraham's life, except a little later on in chapter 24, as the end of his life approaches, it gives a little summary statement and it's so amazing. In chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So the question is, what does this mean for us in our year of blessing? God wants to bless you, and he wants to bless me. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless Ivy. He wants to bless this church. But God's blessing come on his terms, not ours. And he will lovingly take each one of us on a journey to make us into the people 
who can receive it. The normal way our faith is developed and grows is not like a chart where everything is up and to the right. The normal way our faith is developed and tested and developed and tested on this journey is experienced as death and resurrection or testing and blessing, blessing and testing. And yet through these seasons, we learn to let go of the things we cling to, even the very good things that God may have promised us and given us, so that we recognise that it's all a gift, even the promise is a gift, so that instead we become those who cling to the one who promises to provide, because we have learned that he alone is faithful. Or in other words, we have no deal breakers. Martin Luther, the 15th century priest, who ended up becoming one of the central figures of the Protestant Reformation, said this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So how are we able to live like this? Because this story points us forward to another son, this time the son of God, God's only son, the son that he loves, Jesus Christ. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to make the ultimate choice. Would he trust the Father and lay down his life? Jesus said, take this away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. God did not ask anything that he was not willing to do himself. He did not withhold his son from us to die for us. This time there would be no staying of the knife. Jesus himself was not replaced. He was our substitute, our scapegoat, our sacrifice for sin. Jesus did not withhold himself from us. There were no deal breakers. But he gave his life for us on the cross. He put his life in the Father's hands, trusting in the promise of the resurrection, clinging only to the one that he had found faithful. And God did show himself faithful because three days later he was raised from the dead. And so now, in our walk of following Jesus, if he ever asks us to lay something down for his sake, whatever that might be, even a very good thing, if we let it go and cling only to him, we will find him faithful and we'll experience his goodness and blessing in ways that we could never previously imagine. Mm -hmm.